Good morning. It's good to see everybody. And so let me call us to worship from Psalm 32. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. Good morning and please be seated as we go to prayer this morning and prepare our hearts for God's word from Pastor Jerry. Hear these words from the 130th Psalm. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. As we go to prayer, Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come this morning before you in prayer and we ask you to quiet our anxious thoughts and enable us to be still before you. Heavenly Father, as we look on the cross of Christ our Savior, we know that you are a promise-keeping God who is wise, merciful, just, and loving. And you always accomplish your will. You are more powerful beyond our imagination. You have saved us from sin, have given us eternal life, given us the kingdom of our God, given us heaven with you. You meet our daily needs. But Lord, forgive us. For so often we are impatient. We are a people wanting our desires and we want to be satisfied now. We want excellent health, financial security, peaceful relationships, satisfying careers. We want perfect spouses, perfect children, perfect parents, perfect friends. And we want a perfect church. And we want freedom from weakness and our besetting sins. We want heaven now. And we so often struggle with anxiousness, perhaps anger and perhaps bitterness from our want to be satisfied. But Lord, you keep your word. For you said that our lives here on earth will be characterized by suffering and tribulation. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. And so we rush frantically from one trouble, one painful moment to the next, desperately trying to fix our problems and escape discomfort instead of quieting our hearts before you. Father, forgive us. Lord, you have been patient for us as you have drawn us unto yourself and declared us righteous through the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And our prayer now this morning is be patient with us and help us to grow, grow into the people who put their hope and trust in you and wait for Jesus Christ more than watchmen for the morning. When the time is right, you will have made all things new. Enable us now by the power of the Holy Spirit to wait submissively for the fullness of our salvation and to celebrate joyfully the salvation and grace you give us every day. Lord, hear our prayer. And Father, this Lord's Day, we would uphold to you those serving on mission fields at home and abroad. May we assist in meeting their needs and providing their support. We pray for their safety and your blessing upon their ministry. And Lord, may your spirit rest upon Pastor Jerry as he proclaims your word, strengthen and encourage him and may your presence be very real to him. And Heavenly Father, meet the needs of all here assembled and those absent from us. Meet their needs according to your divine purpose and your will. 
And now, Lord, as we leave this church today, may we wait for you in the troubles and problems of our lives. And as we wait, as we wait for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, may we wait simply, confidently, and patiently, without any self-will, but place all into the hands of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let me take a moment and welcome you. If you're here visiting with us, we want to say thanks for joining with us. There is a visitor card or a guest card there in the pew if you want to fill that out. If you've never filled one out before, it gives us a chance to contact you and to let you know that we would love to minister to your family any way that it is possible. Um, we do have just a few announcements. I'm going to let you run through a lot of those. They're in the bulletin on the back page. You'll see those. Uh, but let me remind you that sometimes these announcements are a little different than what Christy sends out. We print the bulletin early in the week and get everything ready. But if something else is added, you will see that on the blast that goes out. And so please uh, read both of them. Don't just think that it's here. Sometimes people have said, well, I didn't see that. And it'll be sent out on the electronic one if it goes out either on Friday or Saturday with sometimes some more important information in it. But we're glad that you're here. You will see uh, several announcements. I just want to focus this morning on the elder and deacon again nomination. If you've been praying about who you would like to nominate, there are the green pieces of paper out to the right as you're leaving. There's an elder box. If you would please just nominate those men that you feel would serve best in those positions. If, you're, if you don't have one, that's fine. But we'll be collecting those the entire month before we'll put all that together and then begin the process for next year. But we also need all of our leaders in ministries to begin praying. It won't be long until the budget and finance is going to be starting to ask about budgets for next year. And so if you are responsible for a budget, they will meet as deacons and they'll know a lot of the building stuff and a lot of those. But if you have a ministry that you're over and you're running and you have a, a funded item in the budget, Please know that Sean Tavalosi is our treasurer, and you can either contact him, come by the office, um, but I'm sure they're going to be contacting you because we need to get all of that prepared for next year so that we can be prepared as we go forward. So please know here in the next several months we want to do that so that we can get finished by the end of the year. And we want to say thanks up front to the whole budget finance team and the, and the deacons. It's quite a process to get up with all the ministries and to figure out what they're going to need for the next year and try to see if we can make all that work. So please be patient with them. Um, I will say this up front from the pulpit. If you are a ministry leader this year and you haven't used all your funds, um, please be sparingly with your funds. Uh, we, have been, we have found out our deacons have let us know that we have a, an entire air conditioning unit that is going to have to be replaced, uh, I don't, several thousands and thousands of dollars. And so the deacons are going to be looking for ways to be able to cover that. And so if you are a ministry leader and you haven't used your funds and you haven't committed those funds yet, um, please let them know. Let Sean or someone know because they're going to be looking for ways to be able to use those funds to help replace the unit that we know we need for the wintertime. So please be in prayer about that as well. And other than that, we want you to enjoy the worship with us. I appreciate Bruce and helping me with the service as we share things together. And uh, we want you to just be in prayer as we go forward. But I'll ask Bruce if he'll come and lead us in our confession of our faith. As we confess our faith this morning, we've been using the larger catechism of the Westminster Confession. And the, two, the three questions this morning actually refer back to the question 123, which we talked about last week, which is, what is the fifth commandment, which of course you know was honor your father and mother. And last week we talked about in our relationships three possibilities. We're either in authority, we are under authority, or we're equals. Last week we talked about being under authority and the sins that go along with that. And we talked about being in authority and the sins that go along with that. Today we're going to talk about 
being equal with someone else, as well as why this important, why this commandment is so important to obey. So let me read the question and together we'll read the answer. What is required of equals? Equals are required to pay attention to the dignity and worth of each other by honoring each other above themselves and by rejoicing in each other's gifts and success as their own. What are the particular sins of equals? In addition to failing to do what is required of them, the sins of equals include undervaluing the worth of each other, envying their gifts, grieving over their success or prosperity, and trying to lord it over them. And then finally, what reason is added to the fifth commandment emphasizing how important it is to obey it? The reason added to the fifth commandment is in these words, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. These words expressly promise long life and prosperity to all who keep this commandment. If these glorify God, and are for their good. Thanks, thanks be to God. Confessing our faith is one aspect of the service. Confessing our sin is more direct. To realize we come into the presence of God knowing that we are sinners and that we have one who forgives us. And so this morning, join with me as your pastor as we confess and I confess my sins together along with you as your pastor. So let's take a moment in silence. I'll ask you to confess your sins and then I'll lead us in the corporate prayer if you'll join with me in the bold print. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the throne of grace, hear our prayer. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. For the sake of your name, O Lord, Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Free me from my troubled heart and anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. You know, we find assurance of pardon in Psalm 130 when we're simply told, If you, Lord, were to keep account of guilty deeds, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered, that we may be able to stand in his presence and be fully accepted in the righteousness of our son. What a way to see God's. And thank you again to all those who are helping make the service go, whether it's the music or the sound and video and the service of the Lord's Supper later this morning as we share that together. Uh, we'll invite you, if you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, to take of the Lord's Supper. And we'll let you know as the time comes near to prepare your heart and be ready. For those of you who are taking the Lord's Supper, I pray that you'll prepare your heart, um, that you've had time to know the importance of fellowshipping with the Lord. We are in Mark chapter 4. We've been studying through the gospel, a very power-packed, quick gospel. I always focused on the works of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to speak to you about having a little bit of faith. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When Cindy asked me for a title, I'm always trying to get the ladies in the office to do more work. I just can't get them to work things fast enough. I'm always waiting on them, always trying to get them to move forward. Uh, I, I'm lying. <laughs> I can't lie with a straight face, can I? No, the truth of it is I had to laugh, though, because when Cindy said, Pastor Jerry, you still haven't given me a title, is because what I really wanted to title this was Scaredy Cat. And then I didn't know how many people would take that, because by definition in the dictionary, you're not supposed to use Scaredy Cat with anyone that's over the teenage years. The dictionary actually says, if you go online, that some people over, older than a teenager could be offended if you called them a Scaredy Cat. And so I decided to just call it, have a little faith because some of us need to realize as we go through circumstances we're allowing fear to overtake us 
not in a sense of trembling and ready to give up, but a fear that begins to haunt us every step of the way as into how is this going to work out? Why am I facing this and how am I going to handle this? Now, I could say this from a kingdom perspective. If Jesus was looking at us as his children, he could say, oh, you scaredy cat. What is it that you have to worry about? Here this morning, we get a very small section of scripture at the end of the parables that we've studied about the seed and the sower and the word of God and the difference that it makes. And then we get this practical power punch of how Jesus does the same thing. And so in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, we get this story, this event that takes place. Now, before I tell you about it, let me highlight to you that you'll probably notice if you have ever read about the historical account of Jonah, you remember the story in which the, even those on the boat were very fearful for their lives, and some of the very similar contents in the story of Mark are also seen in the story of Jonah. A wonderful way for me to be able to look and think to myself how God has been the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. For the same people who were scared in the days of Noah, the days of Jonah, and now in the days of Jesus, all wrestle with fear. And the only way to overcome that is to have a little faith. Do you trust in Jesus. One of the processes of discipleship in its beginning route of following Jesus is learning the supremacy of Jesus. The just being in his presence ought to be enough. To be able to rise in the morning and to open up your scriptures for the Holy Spirit to bring you comfort and for the words of God to be read aloud ought to be enough to cast out any fear you would have. But yet we live in a world of this fear. So here's what Mark writes to us in his journey with Jesus, verse 35 of chapter 4. We're not just looking at how Jesus has healed those that were sick or cleansed those that were with disease or actually cast out those that were full of demons but we're now watching him work with the elements of creation in his superpower, if you wish, over them. Verse 35, chapter 4 says, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Actually, the word there is a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind. And said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid. You can highlight that word, very. And said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the seas obey. Well, you would probably have an answer to that question. Mark doesn't give us the answer till later on in the gospel. But this morning, what I want to speak to you about is this a little bit of faith that we all need to overcome the fears in our life, to be able to faithfully follow Jesus Christ and to grow in our discipleship. This morning, again, I will say to you, I don't know exactly what it is you're facing but it's probably something to do with some uncertainty in your life or maybe some even unanswered prayers or maybe even some of those events that were unexpected that you're facing. But most importantly, we need to have faith to be unafraid. For fear is the opposite of faith. We're not talking about reverence. We're talking about a fear that hinders us from moving forward. For most of us, it's the fear for our lives. We still hang on 
and grip on tightly to the physical life we have. And the fear of losing the physical life drives many of us to an insanity. Mark writes, and he simply says this, beginning, first of all, we're going to have to have a little faith to face uncertainty. Listen to what happens when he begins in verse 37, when it says, and a fierce gale of wind came. That's the word lilops. If you wanted to see that in Greek, it's a pronunciation of P's and S's together. It's a wonderful looking word, but it actually means a furious squall, which has been translated hurricanes in the past. But we're calling it an uncertainty. You must have faith in uncertainty because keep this in mind. The disciples of Jesus, many of them were fishermen. Now, I'm not going to give you a story on the geographical setting of what was taking place around the sea. But folks, if you've been there and done your journeys, most of the time it was because the, the lake is settled way below sea level. It's surrounded around mountains on the sides of it. And the gusts of the gales of winds on a normal day's basis, if you were to journey, is going to come hurling through those canyon types and go across that water. And most boats are going to be rocked to and fro because of these winds. Now, if you're thinking about the size of the boat, this was not a little fisherman's boat. You know, years ago, they did some research there on the seas of the shore, and if you've done your archaeology studies, you realize they have found many boats on the side, and many of them found right in that spot were over 17 feet, 127 feet, with a depth of three and four feet. So we're talking about being on a lake, and we're not talking about the little, you know, eight-foot single-man fisherman boat that you're worried about a little bit of ripples we're talking about a boat that's carrying people and yet you're full of fishermen as if these fishermen have never been on water before and why would a story of fishermen facing a few waves and winds against the boat cause such uncertainty unless they really began to fear for their lives so the power of that storm and whatever it was that they were facing immediately brings this concern of uncertainty in their life. And as fishermen, they were able to fish, but this uncertainty brings fear to them, no different than you and I, when we feel we're trained for our subject matter, when we feel we're equipped to go on with our day, and we still face things that bring fear. How many of you are trained, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, in resuscitation? They will tell you one of the biggest fears for those who are lifeguarding is when the event finally happens and they have to put all the training into practice because now reality sets in and it's a matter of life or what? Death. And it's that instantaneous fear that either goes to flight or fight. We either stand up and do what is right through patience and trust and having faith in what you're trained in, or it's flight. You give in, you crumble, and someone else must step in and do what you were capable of doing because you have now been hindered from what you were trained to do. It's no different, moms. I remember the first time my daughter rammed her head into a door jam, busted it open like a grapefruit. I remember in panic as a husband, I've been a pastor for many years, helped a many a people, but my instinct was to take my shirt, wrap it around her skull, put her in a car, and begin to race down to the hospitals in fear. Oh, I can tell you there's not a whole lot of things that scare me, but this is one situation when I thought to myself, what in the world am I going to do? As she sat beside me saying, Dad, it's so cold in here, I can feel it on my head. It's because she couldn't tell the size of the gash that was in the front of her. And I remember putting her on that hospital table, and I remember holding him, and I remember the nurses saying to me, you're going to have to be the one that holds her, because she was just panicking. And so I took my fingers, and I placed them on the side of her head so that I could hold her tight without crushing her skull, and she began to relax until they brought this needle. <laughs> now, she did better than I did, because normally the needles that scare me are about this long, just enough to tap. And when she saw that, I realized why they wanted me to hold her. But I remember thinking in fear, how is this going to go? I mean, I'm looking at her. I could see the gash. I could see the blood. I could see the things running. And I remember as a parent, this isn't supposed to happen. I mean, you don't run in church, kids. I'm just telling you that right now. 
because door jams don't move, corners don't give. And when you're not thinking about it, we ended up on a hospital table trying to get stitches to close the school. And I remember thinking to myself, Lord, what am I going to do? But what was most scary of it all was there for a moment I actually was thinking to myself, what if something bad happens? What if they can't stop this? What is this going to do to her? And I began to panic in my heart. I don't know where you've been, and I don't know the situations you've been through. I remember the first time one of the soldiers that was in my camp in New Jersey said to me as a chaplain, he said, Pastor, you're supposed to have answers, right? Actually, he says, chap, you're supposed to have answers, right? I said, well, sure, I got all the answers you need, joking with him. And he said, I'm probably going to be out of the military before long because they're going to take the lower part of my right leg. I kind of panicked because I didn't have an answer. I talked to soldiers about counseling and about divorce and about issues with parents and girlfriends and all the things that become natural for 18-year-olds. But when someone finds cancer in the middle of their knee that has spread to both bones in the leg, the only answer to secure safety was to take off the lower part of the leg. See, I don't know what your situation is. But we have fishermen trained in fishing, and somehow the storm brought an uncertainty to them. And the word that is used is because it became furious to them. It brought an intimidating factor into their life, something they had unexpected or unfaced before. And I don't know what it is in your life and what you're facing now, but I promise you, uncertainty comes. One day, marriage is fine. The next day, it's on the brink. One day, the career is a success. The next day, it's about to close. One day you're celebrating family dinner. The next day you're wondering if they're coming back home. Uncertainty. Jesus in this inactivity is what brings us to the next step, which is so important. And that is not only do we need faith and uncertainty, we need faith sometimes when things go unanswered. Can you imagine on the boat, here they are, right in the presence of Jesus, and all of a sudden he's not doing anything? He's sleeping. Do you realize that's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus sleeps? Is in the midst of storms? It's wonderful to know that he has a human side. You know, they say God never sleeps nor slumbers, but that's not true in human form. Because we know Jesus, God in the flesh, actually slept. And he slept in the midst of trials of our life. In the fishermen of uncertainty. As if there were no worries. It's all under control. I got this. It couldn't happen without me. Just trust. In other words, he would simply say what? Have a little what? Faith. But it's in this unanswered time that we begin to fit into the story because how many times do we come to Jesus Christ and say the same things? How can you just wait? Why aren't you answering me? Why are you letting this happen? How come you haven't fixed this? Do you not care about me? Do you not think this is important? I've done everything I thought I should do. And we begin to do no different than the disciples did. Listen to what it says. While Jesus was sleeping stern, they woke him and said, do you not care? Can you imagine the created giving the creator a rebuke? The one who governs all things, made all things, cares for all things, knows all things, supports all things, and can provide all things, is now being rebuked by the one who has a need. Kind of like what you do, what I do, when we want to tell Jesus how he needs to handle some things. I know there's been times in my life that I've told Jesus, Jesus, I know these are your children, but I think I could handle them a little better than you right now. I think I know exactly what I need to do in this situation, and it doesn't really concern care, compassion, and kindness that you think I should show. A rebuke to the one who we know we have no right 
And yet we find ourselves doing the same thing. We find what is amazing is because the word that is used here for Apollomy, the word of the storm, is do you not care that we're drowning? Listen to what he says to them. What it's really asking is do you not care that we're going to be fully perished? It's actually a word into the past saying, do you not realize that this is all but done? We're through. I've got no other thing to hold on to, nothing to keep going forward for. This is it. Do you not care? that my life is coming to an end? That's the word that is used. I can only imagine his patience. Jesus has been so patient with me at times. I'm almost perfect in a lot of things. But when I'm not, he is so patient. And yet these men rise up and attack him as if he doesn't care. The one who would give his life for the sins of the many. Who would take their sins, cover their shame, and clothe them in a righteousness that's not their own. And provide eternity in the presence of the Father. And he doesn't care. Maybe this morning you too need to have a little bit of an awakening. Because I know you're hurting. And I know you're scared. I know it hasn't worked out the way you thought it would. And I know you're frustrated. And I know the decisions have already been made. But please, what right do you have to say Jesus doesn't care? And so we find ourselves, for Jesus, showing all of these patience. We see a reality check here when we find out what they actually call him. If you were to look at the other gospel stories, they would come to you on this waves that are rocking. And they would say, Lord, Lord. And they would come to him. They would use the word kurios, the word for Lord. Here, the story is so different. Mark shares the story and calls him didaskalos, not kurios. The New American Standard translated, I'm sure the ESV does, but it's translated teacher. They don't even recognize him as Lord. They just call him, hey, teacher, don't you care? Pulling him down. Obviously, he must not be something special. Obviously, he's not what we thought he was. Obviously, he's not able to do the things we thought. If he was, they would have called out to him to do so. You see, our faith is challenged in uncertainty. It's also challenged when things are unanswered the way we want them to be. But most importantly, we find out what happens to the unexpected? You see, they remember the story of Jonah. They woke Jonah and asked him to pray to his God. They woke Jesus and simply asked him to solve the problem. That's the difference. Do you have confidence this morning that when you come to your Savior, he'll solve the problem? That he already knows the direction it needs to go? Man, sometimes I think to myself, maybe when Jesus is sleeping, I ought to take more comfort. Because whatever's going to happen to him is also going to happen to who? To me. Of course, we could say that over and over again. Verse 39 reminds us, listen to what he says. He says, do you not care what's going to happen? And he got up and listened to this. Now he begins to change the rebuke and he issues his own rebukes. First of all, he does it to the nature, if you wish. He says, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, be still. These are wonderful words for rebuke. First, you must realize that the word epitamason is the word that is used here to rebuke the wind, to slow the wind. The actual word there for muzzling or to take care of is the word that is only used when he was using it earlier for evil spirits in a personal way. And this is what makes the story of Mark so amazing if you like to do your study, is the Greek words that are used are used in the personal reference, not to things, but to persons. In other words, Jesus is calming somebody in the storm. He's treating the storm as if someone is behind this. He's treating the storm as if there is someone who's trying to usurp authority over what he has already accomplished. He's using the words that say the same thing. Pepsi, if you wish to say, or moso, which is the word for be stilled and quieted for the sea, is the perfect passive imperative. I don't, you guys don't care about that, I know. But it's to not only in the imperative sense of the past to say not only be still, but stay still. 
It was almost as if when he was doing the evil spirits, he said, now come out of them and stay out. Jesus isn't dealing with nature. You've got to see the importance of this story. This is not a battle against the wind and the rain, the elements of the world. This is a battle against the one who is trying to run the world. The same one who tried to fill with demons, the same ones who tried to do with disease, the same one who tried to deal with doubt is now working to deal with the disciples and Jesus rebukes him, rebukes him. This is not a story against nature, a battle against the wind. This is another battle against who's the strong man that Mark has just told us about. Because if you're going to take what's in the strong man's house, you first have to what? Bind the strong man. And to say to Satan, be still. Calm down. Be done. So that even the disciples begin to realize that now they have their faith being challenged in the unexpected. The second rebuke comes even more sternly, not just about those against the, the nature aspects, if you wish. Go back to Psalm, if you wish, in 107. You can see the entire Old Testament in Psalms reading the same stories about what they thought only God could do. So in Psalm 107, you can highlight it in your Bibles, beginning in verse 23. Listen to this. And those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and he raised a stormy wind, which he lifted the waves of the sea, and they rose up to the heavens, and they went down to the depths. Their souls melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like drunken persons and were at their wits' end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. Man, this is the God who acts. This isn't just a... A person with great mighty powers. This is someone who was able to take an uncertain environment, which people felt was being unanswered by God, and now all of a sudden realize that God, this person, is acting the same way. That all of a sudden in our unexpected events, we get rebuked. It's when we go to prayer and say, Lord, why don't you care that he turns around and says to you, what right do you as the clay have to say to the potter what? Why did you make me this way? Do you see it's replete with all the answers that God has throughout history. When do you just say, I trust? I trust. Whatever I face, whatever the uncertainty, whatever the unexpected, whatever I'm waiting to be answered, I wait patiently and trust. It's the rebuke from our Lord when he simply says, can't you have even a little faith? They just told the story that if you would have the faith of a mustard seed, you could what? Could move a mountain. Don't you think it could calm a little bit of the seas? Stop a little bit of the wind? Overcome a little bit of the fear? You see, all of a sudden we realize that Mark always in his gospel looks at faith as being a confidence in a supernatural power. The words that are packed within this short little story is reminding us that whatever is happening to these will happen to Jesus. Whatever happens to Jesus will happen to us. And it's not just in this story. Folks, Jesus said it himself that if they'll do it to me, they'll do it to who? To you. If they mock me, they'll mock you. If they ridicule me, they'll ridicule you. If they scorn me, they're going to scorn you. If they punish me, they're going to punish you. If they imprison me, they'll imprison you. And if they crucify me, they'll what? Crucify you. Whatever happens to us in the presence of the Father, find encouragement. Because as we behold our God, we realize that just as he was laid in a grave, so will we. But don't forget he was what? Raised from the dead. And so will what? We. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And so what? Will we. And he's reigning from on high. And who will be there beside him? Do you see it all goes the same. The presence of the Father now with us and his Son just demonstrates the presence that we have with him at the end. Where's the faith that whatever happens here is not going to change what happens there? Can you not just serve him faithfully now? Trust all the events to him? 
That word for fearful, Deloitte, that is used there is an unable to respond with confidence. That's the word. What Mark is saying is have some faith, have some confidence in the Savior. What good is it to say that you're a Christian and that you love Jesus Christ? Oh, but I don't have any confidence in him. That doesn't make sense. We need to demonstrate that confidence. Verse 40 says it clearly. Look what he says right here. And so he said to them, why are you so afraid? Why have you no confidence in this? Because at all times and in all spheres, Jesus has always controlled the situation. Can you find a story in which Jesus was out of control? I thought of one. I thought of the time that they were leading him up to Golgotha and that he was carrying the cross and he was getting to the point where he just couldn't do it anymore. Do you remember that story? And I thought to myself, if I would have been there, I wondered to myself what they were thinking. Is he even going to make it? Is this going to work? And they grabbed that one Simon to say, hey, take it with you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus simply prayed, Lord, protect them. Protect the ones that you've given me because I have not lost one of them. Talk about confidence. I wish I could say to you as your pastor that every person that came to get help went away completely helped. Problem solved. I wish I could tell you that every person that visited this church, 100% of them, have been ministered, kept, and are here to serve the Lord. I wish I could tell you with 100% confidence that your pastor has never failed, never faltered, that my marriage has never struggled due to my wife, has never struggled due to my children, has never struggled due to me. But again, I would have to tell you, I don't understand yet what it means to be perfect. I'm still placing my faith and confidence in the one who has been. And maybe this morning you need to realize that the greatest fear of all is not from the uncertain things, not from the unexpected things or things that are unanswered, but when all of a sudden you realize you face the unknown. When Jesus finally rebuked, listen to what he said to them. Do you still have no faith? I want you to highlight this. They became very much afraid. That is the word in Greek that is translated over, even from in Hebrew, that is the word megon, where we get the word what? Mega. It is the word for, if you wish, phobos or phobon, fear. And what that writing actually says is in the Greek is that they were now of great fear, mega fear. The biggest fear they had ever faced happened after Jesus calmed the storm. After he helped them, after he solved things, now comes the greatest fear of all. I don't know, but maybe they were afraid because they probably said things to Jesus they shouldn't have. And maybe they made comments they shouldn't have. Maybe they made references to things. And now all of a sudden they realize their greatest fear because now they realize that they are standing, sitting, floating, whatever they're going to be, they're doing it in the presence of the glory of the one and only God. And how could they have behaved like they did and then call him Lord? You see, all of a sudden we realize a great fear. I know myself, I have faced no greater fear than when I find my Savior knocking on my heart's door, confronting me for the sins I've committed. To realize the presence of the holy is near me and that I exist only because of his grace. I'm alive only because of his mercy. And yet my greatest fear 
God, please do not give me what I deserve. Please do not give me what I deserve. This morning, you may be able to say the same, Lord, I am so afraid because you have every right to give me what I deserve. And yet the patience of our Savior protects us. The words for that are used here for coming off and being a part of this very much afraid is also seen in the same Exodus stories in the crossing of the Red Sea. It was after they crossed the Red Sea that they realized they were in the mighty works of who? God. It's when all of a sudden the rains came for Noah and the boat finally stood still on solid ground again that he realized the God he served and made a sacrifice. Sometimes what it's going to take in your life is a very unexpected, unknown, uncertain event so that when he brings it through, you'll have a chance, an opportunity to see just how holy he is. If you've never glimpsed the holy, you've never truly been afraid. Now, if you're not a believer, you will stand in fear. You will come to the point of realizing that there's nothing you can do as the prepared fisherman to fish, if you are unprepared and not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, your fear will rise when you realize your end has come. You will not rise again. You will not reign again. And you will not serve again. But for those of us who have come to place our little faith in Christ, and we've been clothed in his righteousness, we realize that even amongst our failures and even in the presence of the holy, we will rise again and we will reign again and we will serve again. You see, the story from Mark brings it to the point where we begin to realize when he said to his servants, stay here while I go and prepare a sacrifice and I will return. Even Abraham had a little faith when Isaac said to him, Dad, I see the wood and I see the fire, the stuff to make it, but where's the sacrifice? And Abram looked at his young boy and said, with a little bit of faith, God will provide. This morning, do you need to have a little faith. Do you need to realize that God will provide? Because the question that they were asked was simply this, who is this man? Listen to what it says there in the last verse. Who then is this? In the reflexive, who is this guy? The question that all of us have to come to, Mark leaves it unanswered. If you want to go quickly to Mark chapter 8, I'll give you the answer to the story. If you remember when Peter is being confronted by Christ and who all that is, he said, Peter, who do these people say that I am? And they said, hey, they think you're a great prophet. You're a great teacher. You're a great healer. Do you remember that? And Jesus in his patience says, Peter, I get it. But who do you say that I am? Do you remember what he said? You are the Christ. I'm not sure what you're going through right now. Maybe Jesus is doing some things that you even want to say, well, who does this man think he is? And maybe he wants to turn the question back on you as a rebuke and this morning ask you and say, well, who do you say that I am? Just who do you think I am? Am I just a great teacher? Am I just another prophet? Am I just another tool? 
or am I the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah and Savior of the world? Oh, the disciples got a whole lot more than they asked for when they roused Jesus. They've got an entire epiphany, the unveiling of the Savior of the world. And then they got a question pointed to them. And so as Mark leaves us this morning, we could say the same thing. They were scared to death. In answering the question, who is this man? I would simply say to you it this way. Has your fear turned into faith? I could simply ask you the same thing. Who do you say this man is? I could simply answer it for you and simply say, come on, just have a little faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for helping us through the uncertainties, for the unanswered, the unexpected, and the unknown. Most importantly, Lord, so that we can live a life that's unafraid. That we can make the choice between fear and faith. And to follow you everywhere you lead us. And to trust, Lord, that in your presence ought to be all the assurance we need. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we come to the Lord's Supper, we're simply going to do it in a special way. We're just going to simply spend some time of prayer, spend some time of singing, and hand out the elements. But let me just clarify this morning that if you're here this morning and you've never made a profession of faith, you've never called upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please let the elements pass. Please let them pass. For the Bible makes it clear, and I'll read down low some just a few brief scriptures when we take, but it makes it clear that if we eat or drink in an unworthy manner, we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. And what that judgment is is that we may think that we're saved because we're taking. And the elements do not save us. What saves us is our confession of Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never confessed that, I would encourage you to pray. Father, I admit that I am a sinner. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way my sins will ever be forgiven. I confess that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And today I trust completely in his righteousness for my own. Save me, send me the Holy Spirit, and help me follow you the rest of my life. If that's your prayer, then take. If you haven't prayed that, then please wait as we go forward. I'll ask the servers to please.
in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person first examine themselves, and then in so doing, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. For this reason, many of you, among those of you there, are weak and sick, and many are asleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, then let them go home, so that you do not come together for judgment, as do the remaining matters. We'll give instructions later. Let's take a moment. Jesus said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so he took that cup. Before he drank, if you remember, he said, the one who dips with me will betray me. Just how many times have we betrayed him? His response would simply be, have a look at me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can commune. That our sins have been covered We've been forgiven, we've been cleansed and made white as snow. But Lord, help clean our conscience today. Help us to know that it's been cleansed. That the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, has set us free completely to live in faith and to follow your lead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you will, as we go to our closing talk uh, for the offertory. Yeah, we're going to do the offertory, I'm sorry. You remain
If you'll receive the benediction, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.